The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Tuesday morning, the second off day between finals games as the series shifts to Miami. One-to-one after a rousing Miami Heat Get out to a lead, fall way behind, come back and grind it out. How the hell did that just happen? That should be the slogan for the Heat's playoff run. How the hell did that just happen? The 2022-2023 Miami Heat. You better start believing now. I want to break down everything about this series, and there is nobody better to do that with than the king of the iPad telestrator. A man who somehow telestrated a cheese wheel pursuit race (laughs) down a hill, I think in Ireland, which... It's a good thing my mic was cut off on Get Up while you were doing that because I was just cackling. The one and only longtime NBA sharpshooter ESPN personality, Tim Legler. How are you? What's up, Zach? Yeah, that actually, uh, the, the cheese wheel rolling down the hill with a bunch of lunatics trying to grab it was, was I hate to say it, one of my favorite segments I've done this year. You know, with the, despite all the NBA stuff I do, that was, that was a lot of fun for sure. Well, look, the people have probably seen that clip. I'm sure it went viral. I was dying laughing the whole time. And the genius of it was they challenged you to do it. You didn't have that much time. And obviously you can make fun of the the guys who are, I, I guess, you, is rolling just the fastest way to get that? They were just rolling in all directions. I didn't understand yeah. what they were what they were doing. Right. But you found some guys, by the way, Zach. Clearly some guys involved in that that had no interest in catching that cheese whatsoever. They just wanted to tumble down the hill at a high rate of speed. That's what I'm saying. They're just they're tumbling like diagonally away from the cheese, past the cheese. Like what are you what are you doing? Right. But you found these little tidbits like there's a kid watching. Why there should be no children near these crazy people. <laughs> right. The fence that they've built is clearly not gonna contain it was just great work, as good as your NBA work. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh I'm, I'm at like you, as you just described, kind of sitting here wondering like where this is headed. And I thought I had a pretty good idea going into the series where this was headed. And now as I sit here, you know, after game two, I'm not exactly sure because there are there are some things that Denver has not done that I expected them to be able to do. And now I'm starting to say, well, is it because there's just more there for them, right? To 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 grab and to play better. There's more margin there that they can make up, just in terms of how they play. Or is a lot of this related to what Miami is 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 doing to them and will continue to do to them and present some challenges for Denver to answer? Because I, I'm I'm kind of surprised to this point. I I feel like Denver has played at about seventy percent of their max. And where is that other 30%? Is it going to come? Is it going to happen down in Miami? Is it not going to happen at all? Because if it doesn't happen at all, Miami's going to win this series. And and I just didn't think that was possible going in. Yeah, you and you and Michael Malone both. And, you know, Wendy and I did our postgame pod from the court in Denver the other day. And, you know, one of the big takeaways for me was Denver's defense out of the gates was just like, what, what are you guys doing? And, and in particular, I I said this already, but the guy that I have my eye on going into game two for Denver is Michael Porter Jr. Because I I thought I I haven't watched every Denver game. That was probably the worst I've seen him play all season. It was like MPJ clueless defense from four years ago. Habits that he had kicked. He only played 26 minutes. I think he uh, drew a tied for season high two angry Michael Malone timeouts within the game and got yanked for Bruce Brown uh, a couple of times. 
He hasn't shot it well. I think he's uh, 7 of 24 for the series or something like that. Um, is he going to bounce back, or is this all going to spiral? I mean, you've seen it spiral before with guys. With with, I mean, he's more than a role player, but he's a third option type for them, where it just it can go it can go the other way. He can either bounce back or it can spiral. So uh, I'm I'm looking at that for the series. Here's where we are. It's been a pretty good offensive series that has been masked by the fact that there's this is a very slow paced series so far. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a win for Miami. Keeping sure. Denver out of transition is huge for them. Limiting their turnovers. They only have 19 turnovers in two games. That's huge. The offensive ratings are 118 Denver, 114 Miami. Both pretty good. Game two was an absolute gangbusters offensive game. Denver is plus eight total points. And the big stat for Miami, as always, 30 of 74 from three compared to 19 of 55 from Denver. Where do you want to start? What's the first? What's the first thing you're going to be looking at in Game Three? You mentioned stuff Denver isn't doing. Is there a yeah. side of the ball you're going to have your eye on? You you take over as telestrator mode. What are you going to be looking for? Here's the thing that is concerning. If you're a Denver fan, if you're Michael Malone, uh, it's this, and I think this is why the tone was set by him after the game at his presser. I mean, it was obvious how irritated he was with his team, and you know I'll give him credit too, by the way, because in in today's sports world, coaches don't typically do that. Right. They don't. They 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 find a way to own it themselves. They deflect. They protect. Right. That's what that's what you do. I mean, go back to even game three in the Miami Boston series and Joe Missoula that night when the Celtics just completely quit. And was what did Missoula say repeatedly over and over? It's on me. I got to do a better job. It's just me. I got to do, you know, because and even though the way that he said it, it was clear that he probably didn't even necessarily believe it, but he still did it because you're, you know, it's at all costs. You can't have guys questioning, you know, my loyalty to them in the locker room and will you lose guys mentally and like all that stuff. You know, it's not the era that I've played in when coaches could say whatever they wanted to about their team. So Michael Malone comes in that presser so agitated. And the reason is this game one, they gave up a lot of open looks free from the three point line, a ton. Now Miami did not shoot well and they didn't shoot well in the regular season. So it was kind of like, okay, this may be actually more about what Miami really is than what they've been to this point in the postseason. Problem is this, they got the same looks in game two. So so even though Denver won, and I said that night right after the game ended on Van, on SVP, I didn't think Denver played well that night at all. And, and Michael Malone said the same thing. So if that's how you feel, now you've got a film session, you've got a couple days off, you've got walkthroughs. You now should be cleaning up those areas to take away those looks that they got. And they didn't. In fact, the quality of looks was even better from the three-point line. So for me, if that does not turn, the Denver Nuggets are going to lose this series. So that's that's the first thing I'm going to be looking at. And here's what I mean by that, Zach. So they made 17 threes. Nine of those, I went back and watched every made three. Nine of those direct, directly related to a mistake made by the Denver Nuggets. Whether that was Two guys not communicating on, on a screen, right? Who's going to take the, the ball handler? Who's going to take the, the screener? Um, three times, overly zealous, trying to block three-point shot attempts by Duncan Robinson and Kevin Love. Like, why are you jumping up to the lights on those guys? You don't need to. Uh, guilty of that. And that's not even taken into account the two times KCP fouled three-point shooters on horrendous fouls. So, that stuff has to be cleaned up. And the fact that they were still that sloppy 
with their communications. Like, for instance, Struess at the beginning of the game, the guy's 0 for 9 in game one. Now, you know he's going to keep shooting, right? If it, if anything was certain in game two, it was that Max Struess was going to get some up early because that's what shooters do. They want to immediately see the ball go in and put that stuff behind them. So if you're Denver, the last thing you can risk is giving a guy that's that good of a shooter wide open looks at the beginning of the game, and they blew three coverages on him in the first six minutes of the game. So for and it me, wasn't all Michael Porter, by the way. Two of them were, and one of them that. was one of them was Aaron Gordon not switching on time. I think in the right Correct. corner, if I remember correctly. That's exactly right. That was Aaron Gordon. They didn't communicate that. One was KCP, basically. For some reason, Jimmy Butler had the ball like 22, 23 feet from the basket, like kind of getting ready to think about attacking. And he just helped by about 10 feet too much off of Struess. And then they just swung at the Struess for one pass, pitch and catch for a wide open three. Uh, another one in the left corner, one off of a baseline out of bounds play where Christian Brown did not communicate the switch with KCP. They ran into each other. Oh, yeah, that's right. Struess comes off for the wide. That was his first one, first points of the game. Comes off with a wide open look. So, so my point is, you ask, what am I looking at, and and where are we? That has to change, and if that doesn't change, the Nuggets are in trouble. And I think that's why Mike Malone was so irritated, because for me, it wasn't as much about effort; it was about sloppiness with communication. That's really what it looked like to me. I don't think guys were out there not playing hard, but they were certainly not locked in to the extent you needed to be in a finals game. And that is what I'm looking for now at the start of game three. Does Denver look like they've tightened that stuff up? Because I think eventually their offense is going to hum at the rate that it was. I do believe that's coming. Defensively, though, that you got to show me that because that's two games in a row now that you were definitely subpar for where you need to be against a team that is not a great three-point shooting team. You cannot make that many mistakes and give guys an additional five, six feet of space. So for me, that's the biggest takeaway. I want to I want to start for a second on um, KCP helping when he didn't need to help, and I've never played in the NBA. Obviously, you may you may be surprised to know that I didn't make it that far. <laughs> um, so I don't know what it's like to be a perimeter defender away from the ball while a guy like Jimmy Butler has the ball. A holy <laughs> that dude is awesome kind of guy. Because I, I'm with you. So so to me, the bellwether matchup for Jimmy Butler in the series is KCP. We know he's going to bully Murray. We know Aaron Gordon is going to be pretty much equal to the task against Jimmy. KCP is kind of in between as a switch guy that's going to get on. I mean, he bullied KCP. for the, He didn't do it in game one, did it some in game two, went at Murray more in game two. So he's it's clear from the jump that Jimmy's going to engage his bully ball mode a little more. He knows he's got to give a little more for him to win this game. You mentioned one three that Struess got out of a, a, what I would have classified as an overhelp situation. There was another one when Jimmy had Aaron Gordon on him. So no switch, no matchup advantage. He was on the right wing and going nowhere, going nowhere. And I can't remember who it was. I think it was Murray just kind of sloughed way over again. Same thing you're talking about. Just in 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 between, not not doubling, but just sort of showing, showing help. And Jimmy just pitched the ball out to his good. Just said, oh, you're going to give me that? Pitched it to Struess. So now Jamal Murray's got to sprint out at Struess. Struess pump fakes him, goes, drives, and then drops it off to Bam for a dunk. And in my notes, I'm like, if it's Aaron Gordon, you just got to stay home. You got to make Jimmy prove he can beat Aaron Gordon. 
But I don't know what it feels like to be looking over there and be like, dude, that guy's awesome. He's rolling. It's Jimmy Butler. Like, I, I got to do something. I don't know what the coach is saying. Like, what is that? What is that? Because you probably remember that same play and had the same reaction. But it's just so much easier for me to say than it is for Jamal Murray out there being like, well, I, I can't yeah. just stand here. I got to do something. It's Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I think for me, and, and this is, I think, just would come from knowing the player and hopefully talked about this, and I'm sure they did. Nothing Jimmy Butler does in an isolation situation is going to be quick. It's not like you're worried about his first step on a blow by Aaron Gordon where he's by him and at the rim finishing. That's not how Jimmy Butler attacks. He's going to probably go one direction, one dribble, stop, maybe now put his back to him, then square him up again, then maybe cross over, go toward the baseline, and eventually he's either going to try to get you to some sort of an up fake and go to the rim, or he's going to shoot a mid-range 15, 18-foot shot. But it's not going to happen lightning quick. So if you're guarding Struess, you're guarding Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent now probably is in this category because of how well he has shot the ball. And you're guarding those guys. You don't need to overreact to Jimmy Butler sizing a guy up because you have time. If he's going to get that defender compromised – it's going to be probably a couple seconds from now when I start to see how he's going to go and is he going to spin back? Is he because he's not one of those guys that just like boom, boom, like James Harden, you know, bang, 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 and he's gone. And now if you're not in that gap, you have you have not you've blown an assignment, right? Because there are guys that are that quick off the dribble. Jimmy Butler's not. He's going to probe you a little bit more. It's going to take longer to get to his spot so you have more time. So you cannot be in a position where you lose contact with those guys to that extent that you can't recover. Um, you know, and, and then they had, to me, the biggest stretch of the game, beginning of the fourth quarter, they're down eight. And this none of this is involving Jimmy Butler. Nope. They basically run action with Duncan Robinson and Gabe Vincent, right? And they run this like a three-man on the side sort of set. It's almost like a triangle-type configuration and they're like, okay, they blew three consecutive coverages. First time, two guys go with the curl man, Duncan Robinson, both defenders. They don't communicate the screen with uh, with Vincent. Both guys run with Duncan Robinson. Gabe Vincent steps back, bangs a three. All right, let's run that again and see what happens. Next time, Duncan Robinson curls. The defender trails. He doesn't get a bump at all. So Duncan Robinson just catches the ball, lays it in. Then they get to one where – they actually defended okay initially. The ball goes to the weak side, and then when it comes back to Duncan Robinson, Jamal Murray with a very half-hearted upright closeout, and Duncan Robinson blows right by him for a three-point play. Yeah, I watched that play like like four times. So I was like, how did how did that just happen? How did Duncan Robinson did Jamal Murray fly into the crowd? Was he out of control? Was he was he compromised on a long rotation? No, he just kind of walked over to Duncan Robinson, yeah. and Duncan Robinson was like, "Cool, I'm going to blow by you because you're not really you're not really respecting me." Zach, he'd have more of an excuse if he, which this happened also to two other guys, if he did fly by him because it's Duncan Robinson and he just hit one, right? Now you go, okay, he bit on the head fake, still not acceptable, not great defense, but at least he's trying to fly out there to contest the shooter. He didn't do that. He he was caught so off guard by Duncan Robinson's decision to put that ball on the ground that he just looked completely unready. And now he's at now he's at the rim. The help was a little bit late. He gets bumped, and he is a CS six eight. So he gets up there. He finishes play three point play, just like that. 
All that work you did to close the third quarter when Jokic basically took over there that last few minutes, and you're in a great position. You're at home. You're up eight. Jimmy Butler's on the bench. You start the fourth quarter just like that. The Heat have a two-point lead. And now Butler makes some shots late. The closer does his thing. Caleb Martin finally you know, makes a shot in an important moment. Bam has a couple plays. And, and now the Heat, the Heat end up taking it home. But that was the key stretch. And again, it was caused by just really bad miscommunication on the part of the Nuggets defensively on – very innocuous basic stuff that they just did not talk through or did not have the required effort in the case of Murray's closeout. So I I understood completely why Malone was that irritated and and you know his blood was boiling because he saw a golden opportunity to really take command of this thing where no one's going to envision Miami winning four out of five games. Nobody. Including, now, including them, I don't think. I no, think they nobody. viewed that game as an absolute life or death right. must win. If you're being honest and all those guys take sodium pentothal, right, and you ask them, they're all going to say, no, we got no shot if they're down 2-0. But now it feels totally different as you go back to Miami because it's a 1-1. Miami now has home court, and Denver has not proven that they are up to the task defensively yet. And that's 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 the key thing here going forward. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Second straight bad start to the fourth quarter that has to be driving the Nuggets coaches crazy. Game one, they keep Jokic and Murray on the floor to go for the kill, and Miami goes on a run, some of which is gifted to them by Denver, who threw, threw away a baseline out-of-bounds pass. Game two, like, all right, let's go back to our regular rotation. We'll rest We'll rest Jokic. Oh, okay, that didn't work either. Um, so I'm going to ask you a, a an intentionally leading and facetious question as sort of a devil's advocate. We're sitting here talking about mistakes that Denver made in coverage and all that. Um, let me just put it to you like this. This is a question that a, a producer on NBA Today asked me in preparation for today, this afternoon's show. How is Miami generating so many good threes? Because I can see the Heat fans listening to the first 15 minutes of this conversation and say, 
really? It's all we're just here because Denver sucked on defense. We don't right. get any credit for this. So let's right. flip it the other way. How is Miami doing this? What are they doing proactively to get so many good threes? You said nine of 17. That still leaves eight that are not the result of, of Denver mistakes. Correct. And those eight, of those eight, the majority of those were what I would consider like reasonable basketball help defense. Okay. Cause sometimes a guy's driving and you're, 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 you're that one pass away. It's coming towards you. You're going to stunt to get in front of the ball handler, whoever that may be, and then recover out. And you get there half a count late guy shoots it. It's, you know, almost palm on palm and the guy makes a shot. That's, that's life. That's, that's, that's normal team defense. It's what you're taught to be able to get into the gaps and to do that kind of thing. A couple of them, two of them, offensive rebounds. Offensive rebounds turn into chaos. I call those chaos possessions, and, and for years, nobody burned you more on chaos possessions than the Warriors. It just felt like every single time they got a long offensive rebound, somebody hit a three. And and that so they got a couple off of that. Those are not breakdowns. That's just fluky. The ball bounced to them, and now in recovering, somebody's left open, and you get that. But here's what the Heat are doing. They are they are taking advantage of Denver's overreaction a little bit defensively to Jimmy Butler, and and so your spacing is just a few feet further off shooters than maybe it should be. And it's not like bad defense. And on film, it wouldn't look like a breakdown. But Miami is taking advantage of that, and they're making the next pass out of that, whatever that may be. Now, Jimmy had a couple in game two where it was directly his pass. Like one time, I remember he drove from the right wing in the second half. He drove along the baseline, and I froze the tape. So I was looking at it. You had four Nuggets jerseys, four surrounding him right in the restricted area. And he wasn't even looking at the basket. He drove baseline, and then he threw the ball to the opposite wing to Gabe Vincent with nobody within 12 to 15 feet of him. Like, I wouldn't consider that necessarily a breakdown. It's more of an overreaction to Jimmy Butler that now there's space when the ball comes out, longer recoveries, and then if you make the next pass or if that guy goes in a gap and swings – you knock it down. And look, some of it is good action by the Heat, like the plays I described with Duncan Robinson and Vincent. It, it's good action, but it's nothing like that you, you shouldn't see every night in an NBA game if you're Denver, that if you talk it through, are you switching it? Are you hedging it? Who's the priority of the two guys involved in the action? Like Those are the kinds of things that should be worked through way before you're actually in the moment. So give the Heat credit for – they're moving it to the right guy. And the guy that's open is getting it every time. And they're making Denver pay because guys are stepping up and they're making big shots. Now, they didn't shoot great in game one. If they had, you know, I don't know if they lose, if Denver loses the game, but that's probably going to be a one possession game with two minutes to go if Miami shoots even a decent percentage that night from the three. So, yeah, I know how Heat fans react to stuff like this. Oh, it's all about Denver. Don't give us any credit. No, well, the problem is I have to be honest about mistakes. If those are mistakes, that's bad coverage. you got to point it out. And it led to a lot of offense for the Heat. And it, it made things very difficult for the Nuggets to be able to recover from that. And down the stretch, those weren't really mistakes. 
those were just the Heat making big-time shots. I mean, they made some really tough shots in that situation. So give Miami credit for moving it, finding the right guy, and then guys having the nerve to step into shots and make them. But I think the majority of what I've seen so far in two games has been more about Denver. Denver's incompetence defensively. You just said the word nerve, and I'm glad you said it because I keep saying this, and it doesn't sound like an amazing compliment, but it is. The best thing you can say about Miami is that they just keep playing. They don't care if the first 17 seconds of the shot clock have gotten them nothing. They don't care if the crowd is going crazy and they're down on the road and it's the NBA Finals. They just don't care. They keep running their stuff. And the more stuff you run, the more chance you have that something is going to hit, that someone's going to miss a rotation, that someone is, you know, 18, uh, eight, eight seconds left on the shot clock. We haven't gotten anywhere. Let's give it to Kyle Lowry. Quick pick and roll with Bam. Just decks KCP. All of a sudden, Kyle Lowry has an open three. Like, they just never stop cutting, moving, making the extra pass. I, I thought Butler's, the, the passes you're pointing out with Butler, who, who's literally under the rim on some of them, I think they they discovered in game three or game one, okay, Jokic is going to drop back on Jimmy's pick and rolls. They're not going to come. They're not going to come to the level of the screen like Denver likes to do against shooters and has to do obviously against Struess and Robinson and all that. Let's see if we can prod in that space a little bit and just kind of slow play some drives, get deep into the paint. Let's see if they bring a third defender over, which they started doing to try to take away Bam's role to the rim. And Bam, by the way, has been incredible through two games. Yeah. Just a monster series. I've never seen Bam out Bam. of bio play better. I've never just, seen him just play better. endless, endless ferocity yeah. and effort. And let's see if we can kick around and get threes that you're talking about. And I do wonder in game three if if they start hurting them like that again, will they bring Jokic a little higher just to see how kind of Miami responds to that? And you can bet Miami's coaches are ready for that and have counters ready, like more Bam, more floaters. On the Vincent... Uh, Robinson play in the left corner that you're describing that they blew twice in a row. I, I kind of want to, yes, that, that should have been an easy switch between Bruce Brown and Christian Brown. Um, I do want to give Miami some credit for that because something I've noticed throughout the playoffs is Spo seems to save a couple of things in the playbook yeah. and just throw them out, out of nowhere in the fourth quarter. Um, Generally, kind of, there was a corner pin down action for Kevin Love against Milwaukee that just totally caught Milwaukee by surprise in a big game in Milwaukee in that series. Some bam, like swing dribble handoffs in the corner come out every once in a while. That play was like that. It was like all of a sudden, all right, let's rip out page 397 of the Heat playbook and see what happens. And I do think they deserve credit for that because Denver was clearly like, whoa, what, what is this? What's happening? What should we do? Now, you're right. The second and third time when you see it coming, you should probably have it nailed down by then. But they get these points out of like surprise attacks kind of. And I think they deserve credit for, for kind of springing that stuff on the other team. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I mean, there's, there's, there's very few guys in the league I would trust more than Eric Spolstra to always – you know, the state of readiness for his team and in his mind and the way he's standing there watching the game. And he's got that same stare on his face because he's processing everything. And, and some of that stuff he is thinking about potentially what could be run later in the game. And they ran it at exactly the right time. When you talk about must have possessions, you think about it, Zach, if, if, if Denver gets a couple of stops, two, three stops there at the start of that quarter convert, 
you got a 15-point game, you know, potentially. They're not recovering from that. So it's amazing that in this game with, you know, the, the star talent that we have, offensive talent that we have with Jimmy and Jokic and, and Jamal Murray and even Bam, the way he's playing, you run action for – for two of your, you know, your starting point guard and a role-playing three-point shooter, and because they make great reads and they 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 take advantage of miscommunications, they get themselves right back in the game. That's the trust level that I've always talked about with Eric Spolstra. And a guy like me, how much I would have loved to have played for a guy like Eric Spolstra because I appreciate so much how he values guys for what they do well. And he, and he, and he takes it upon himself to hide their weaknesses and doesn't judge them based on the weaknesses and overreact to their weaknesses surfacing, right. And take their confidence away. He, he, you're on the floor and this is what I think you do well to help our team. I'm going to let you do it as much as you want. I'm going to literally, and the stuff you don't do as well, I'm going to do everything I can to come up with a game plan and the way we play to protect you from that stuff, whether it's handling the ball against pressure or certain defensive matchups. I'm not going to leave you on an island by yourself. But on the other end of the floor, I'm absolutely going to value you for what you do. And I could run that at any time. That could be, you know, in the middle of the second quarter or it could be right now with with maybe our season on the line. And I'm going to trust you two guys to go run this right now. We need an important shot to be made. and And they get it. So it's because of the belief they have in him, the empowerment he's given them, and the confidence level they have. And sometimes that even when a guy hasn't played in a little while, hasn't really touched the ball, hasn't been involved. Duncan Robinson said after the game, did his interview, he said, well, to that point, I've really done nothing so far in the series. So, you know, I'm glad I was able to contribute in a big way. And it's a lot of teams, a lot of guys mentally would not have stayed ready for that. And it's because they know that Spo believes in them. And at any time he could call their name and call their number. And, and the belief system is there and, and the mutual trust factor is there. And I think that makes guys more confident in that moment. Spo also pulled the adjustment of starting Kevin Love over Caleb Martin, which, which to me, you know, that was, that was somewhat about, more size on the floor. Obviously, yeah. we're going to take away the Aaron Gordon post-ups that just mashed us. Um, a trickle-down effect of that was Jimmy Butler guards Jamal Murray. I thought his defense on Jamal Murray was really good. And a trickle-down of that is Jamal Murray is sometimes stuck on Jimmy Butler if you can't get the matchup switched back the way you want him. And it just gave Jimmy more chances. Like, I don't even have to run anything. I've got Jamal Murray already yeah. on me. I thought that adjustment worked across the board. We'll see, I assume they'll stick with it. We'll see if they have to swap back. Uh, uh, at any point in the series. Before we move on to Denver's offense, um, what what would you do with Tyler Hero if if he if you if he's ready to play in this series? What what should the Heat do? Man, I you, I mean I think you play him. He's he's you know he's he's their second best creator, right? He he can he can get places on the floor with the ball. He's you know he's obviously a very good offensive player. Defensively, a little bit more of a challenge. But there's a spot for him. I mean, if he says he's ready to go, and they now I'm hearing that, but his hand swelled up a little bit and was sore. If he's if he doesn't have full range of motion with with freedom of movement and like for the most part pain free, I don't know if you play him. Like because he's going to be limited, and if he's limited, and he's not going to be an impact defensively, do you just go kind of stand pat? But if he says he's good to go, and they and the wrist feels great and he's making shots leading up to the game and he's no limitations. How do you not 
give him a shot to play because he's that good offensively. You don't know what that could bring to your team in this series, and particularly as streaky as some of these guys have been. I mean, Caleb Martin right now clearly does not have confidence and and just has, has not injected himself into the series coming out of the, of the last series. You know, it's come in kind of surprising. That did not carry over to a certain extent. You know, Struz plays great in the first half of game two, 0 for 10 in game one. Who knows what that looks like in game three? Does he miss his first five threes? And you got Tyler Hero sitting there. So I think it's almost a little bit situational, but I do think you you play him and kind of see. And if he's out there six minutes and he's just kind of out there, he's not really himself trying to make stuff happen. And as an aggressive offensive player, you probably don't go back to him. But I don't think if he says he's ready to go and they look like they believe he's ready to go before the game, I don't think you make the predetermined decision that, oh, we're not going with him because I really like what we got going on right now. He's too good of an offensive player to do that too. Totally agree with everything you just said. This is the series where his pull-up jump shooting I think would be most valuable since the Milwaukee series when he got hurt in the first round because of the way Milwaukee plays their drop-back defense. Against Jokic, it's just useful to have a guy who can make pull-up jumpers. And maybe it's just as simple as you mentioned that fourth quarter. I mean, season on the line is not an exaggeration for that stretch. If they go, if that, instead of cutting into that lead, it becomes, you know, Denver by 13 when Jimmy Butler comes back in the game, that may be curtains. And maybe just those are the minutes for Tyler Hero. Like Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler's resting. We got to find some offense. Swing four minutes for us. Give us a four minute win that can turn this from a loss into a win. Right. Maybe that's what it is. But I do think if if he's ready, and Roz, Roz Goldonwude was, I think, the first to report that he's experiencing swelling and soreness. If that's the case, and like you said, he's got to be full go with that right hand, shooting, passing, picking it up, all that. If he's not, it's a, it's a different story. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's flip sides of the court. Um, Spo uh, drew a strong reaction from yeah. his strong reaction to our colleague Ramona Shelburne's question about turning Nikola Jokic into a scorer and not a passer. 
Uh, Jokic had 41 points on 16 of 28 from the floor, four assists after 14 in game one, five turnovers. Um, how would you describe what Miami is doing defensively? Uh, because on, on paper, it didn't work. Denver's offense had 125 points per 100 possessions, which is like way better than the best offense in the league. But with Jokic on the floor, it was only 111 per 100 possessions, which is below average. So they did something. Is there truth to the turn him into a scorer thing? Is that what it is? What What are they actually doing? So it's a combination of what Miami did, and some of it falls again on Denver. I don't think their off-ball movement was nearly the same. And what I mean by that is typically when Jokic has the ball and he's operating at the elbow or the short wing or in the post, and he has the basketball and he starts to do the back-down dribble, there's stuff going on usually on the other side of the floor, or there's a there's a there's a back screen with a with a cut down the lane, and then there's a, a flare screen out of that. Guys continue to come over for dribble handoffs because he loves running the dribble handoff when he's at like even after he starts to back down and he gets to like 12 feet, he will pick that thing up if he sees somebody coming, flip it, screen, dive, give somebody a short pull up, or maybe hit him rolling to the basket, or or reverse it because everybody you know, converges over to that action. They weren't doing that. It was like he got the ball in certain spots. He started to go, and then everybody sort of watched him on Denver's team. For Miami, that meant easier to, like, fake stunt, fake stunt, but, like, I'm not getting too far off of these guys because I'm not going to let him throw these these bullet passes because he throws it with, with great velocity to the opposite side of the floor or from the post to the top of the key. It, and if, I always talk about velocity on passers. And I played with some great players, great guards that didn't give you the ball with velocity. And that meant now I'm taking a really tough contested shot against a six, seven dude jumping out at me, as opposed to that extra half account. That means this ball is going in for sure, right? That's what velocity means. Cause it, it's just harder to close out in time. So they decided they're not going to give him that stuff and let's see what happens. And then it just kept, he just kept on getting himself into the lane, turning, and for the most part, scoring. I don't think he necessarily wants to play that way. In fact, I know he doesn't. But Miami, and Eric Spolster can say, you know, to the untrained eye, I think my eye's pretty trained. I mean, I know, I kind of know what I'm watching defensively. They were able to stunt and kind of stay home because there was not as much activity going on with the other players when Jokic had the ball. And – so part of that, Jokic probably recognized it and was like, okay, well, it's upon me right now. Like, this is a critical moment, a critical game. I, in the second half of that game, I am going to now take advantage of what's here for me, which is going to be scoring on Bam or scoring on Zeller, and, and I'm going to get to these spots and I'm going to score. So I think it was a combination of maybe not Miami saying, okay, you know what, let him shoot as many times as he wants. We're staying home with the shooter. I don't think it was like that. I think that's what Eric Spolster's talking about. That's the tone of a question like that or like the narrative around it is, oh, well, we'll let him score. And we're going to stay home with the other guys. So that conversation probably never took place. That's what he's basically saying. But to say that in the moment, the Heat defense wasn't aware that these guys aren't really doing a whole lot. And I'm not going to allow them to kind of inject themselves into it by overselling out to Jokic. And now somebody gets a wide open three because I left. Let's see what this guy's going to do. And even though he was having success as a scorer, they did not change that up. 
absolutely, there was a different approach to Jokic because of that. Um, going forward now, it's going to be interesting to see what Denver does to adjust to that. I think you're going to see much more player movement in game three off the ball because I just don't think that was even close to the best version of what I watched Denver do this year offensively. I co-signed everything. Um, I kind of totally rejected both before and after game two the idea that you could just, quote, let Jokic score. And I said, yeah. because he will score 50 and you will lose. And that part of it, I, I stand by. Like, if you just put, if you just give him back-to-the-basket touches and don't help, he's going to get a layup or a foul literally every single time. And so part one of Miami's game plan against him is don't let him get post-touches at all. Right. Front him. Take those entry passes away. And they've been awesome at that. You don't have an approach if you're if you're trying to just not even let him get the ball. Obviously, your approach is not turn him into a scorer. It's just don't even let him get the ball. And Bam has been amazing fronting the post. And then even if Jokic gets the ball, then you see the kind of half stunts you're talking about. If he gets the ball with his back to the basket, they're not just leaving him alone. They're kind of digging in and coming back out, digging in and coming back out. And the Heat are awesome at that. Yeah. And it keeps you guessing and it keeps you confused. And I totally agree with you about their movement. There was a play, I think it was in the second quarter, where Jokic got a post-touch against Zeller. And boy, will it be interesting to see when and how we see Cody Zeller again in this series and whether they just try to match Bam's minutes to Jokic's minutes, which would in turn require probably changing Jimmy Butler's substitution pattern. Neither here nor there. Enter the ball to Jokic. Michael Porter Jr. is standing four feet away from Jamal Murray at the top of the arc and doing nothing. And Jamal Murray, you can see waves from Michael Porter. Get away from me and go to the corner, man. You're just chilling out here. You're not useful. And Michael Porter Jr. goes to the corner. They dig off of him. Halfway there, not a hard double team. Jokic gives him the ball. He drives it. He has a wide open pocket pass to Jokic. Like wide open. Doesn't make it. I thought he was awful in that sense too. Takes an extra dribble, then tries to make the same pass in traffic. They knock it away. It goes like 100 feet in the air. That's the kind of movement I think they're talking about. But to, to Miami's credit, when he does get post touches, they are not just swarming him. And if they yeah. do swarm him, it's A, at the last minute when he's making his move to the basket, then they'll send help. Or if it's a big defender like Butler who's got range and is one pass away, they will help some in the post. There was like one play. It was maybe the most interesting play of the game to me. It was on uh, the right wing in the first half. It was a crazy sequence where they post Jokic on Bam. They get him a post touch. They extricate him from the fronts that are really hard to extricate him from. Murray is on the right wing, enters the ball to Jokic. Jokic starts backing Bam down. It's about to be an emergency. Jimmy comes on what is pretty much a hard double team off of Jamal Murray one pass away. Jokic gives the ball back up, and on the fly, Jimmy is there in Jamal Murray's face. And on your passing point, if you look at the tape, the pass is low and to the left, and Murray has to crouch down to catch it, and that is the difference between a three-point shot and nothing. And then they re-entered it to, to uh, Jokic, and he did a bunch of crazy stuff. Bam blocked the shot. He recovered it. He scored. But they're just, to me, it's not let Jokic be a scorer. It's... Try to confuse them. Don't give up open threes. Sometimes don't even let them get the ball. Sometimes play zone and mix in all of that enough 
that they just can't get in their rhythm. Like even the fronting, which has been really effective, the Nuggets have also beaten that several times by just driving right at it. Like if Bam's in front of Jokic, he can't get to the backside in time. KCP had a drive. They helped off Aaron Gordon, alley-oop to Aaron Gordon. But Miami's also winning some of those same sequences when Denver tries to do that, drive the front like that. Their rotations are on point, and sometimes it just is like pass, pass, pass. Oh, okay, reset, nothing happened. It's it's an interesting battle. There is some truth to the we're going to make him operate when he gets the ball with his back to the basket. We're not going to make the passes easy for him, and if he scores some, that's okay. There's also full-on five-alarm emergency fronting defense. Like, we don't even want this dude to get the ball. So there was there was something to Ramona's question, and there was something also to Spoh's answer that it's it's not that simple. But there is something. They're just not going to give him easy passes. Denver is going to have to earn some of those easy passes. Yeah, and also Eric Spolstra, to whatever extent they did discuss it, isn't going to admit that, obviously. Doesn't want anybody to know that. So I, I get where he's coming from on that. And look, the theory that just – you know, I just let him score. He can have what he wants. He he took he shot the ball 30 times twice in the Phoenix series, and he scored 92 points. So, so and and in one of those games, he had like 13 assists too. So, like, he's that good that even if you made the mentality and made the conscious decision, ah, oh, we're gonna we're gonna force him to do something that makes him self-conscious, which is shoot the ball four times in a row in the paint. Um He's still good enough to beat you with his passing if their motion around him is 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 good. And like one thing I noticed in game two that, and and I did a touch screen on Van Pelt after game one that focused on Jokic's passing and particularly as it relates to off the ball um, when he's got the ball either in the short ice or the post. One area, Zach, he didn't touch the ball very much in game two with his face to the basket between mm-hmm. the elbows and the top of the key in that area. Like that's where that's when he's at his best on the nights. We marvel at these ridiculous stat lines and he's just doing everything. It's when he's got the ball in that area of the floor a lot. And he's, he's hitting guys that are making dives off back screens, or he's taking the ball from the top of the key, looking at the right corner and throwing the ball to the left corner on a rope for a guy to get a three when he's running multiple dribble handoffs on the same possession. Like, nobody runs dribble handoff more than Jokic in the league. It's a massive weapon for them because his shoulders are as wide as his table I'm sitting at, and it's very difficult for defenders to get around that, particularly when he's running it with Murray because you can't go under. He'll stop and shoot a three, so you have to trail him. That's such a huge part of what they do, and then Murray will come off tight and turn in, and then Jokic's man will dive there, and then Jokic will step back at the top of the key and he'll either shoot it or drive it and kick. There was very little of that action in the second half of the game. It was mostly Jokic backing guys down. That's the adjustment that Denver is going to make. They need to see Jokic in that area of the floor that makes him truly special and unique with his vision when everything's in front of him. And they didn't get into that enough in game two. And Miami took advantage of that and and gave him some more back-to-the-basket scoring opportunities. If he was willing to take it, go ahead. You're not going to gut us by making us look foolish trying to chase the ball with your passing and they, and that's kind of what Denver made it easier for them to do. Still give the heat credit, but Denver did make it easier to accomplish that. And if you don't think the heat sent any help to him and just let him be a scorer, just watch one play when they did run the kind of stuff you're mentioning from the first half, he got the ball center of the foul line against bam, backed him down 
and here comes Kevin Love on a, basically a double team, and he just lobs it to Aaron Gordon for a wide open alley oop dunk. Like that was help. That's a double team. That's he's going to be a passer. Uh, and I do think the other thing on if Love is going to guard Aaron Gordon, I think they need to have Aaron Gordon be more involved, just in Absolutely. stuff in the movement. Absolutely. You're talking. He Jokic got one floater on a Jokic Gordon inverted pick and roll. Have him set back screens for Jamal Murray. Like you got to make Kevin Love move his feet. And, and kind of hunt them down uh, a little bit in that way. What else are you looking for from Denver's offense? Uh, is, is well, we you talked about you talked about the pace of the series that definitely plays to Miami's advantage. And like one of the things that, that you know you love about Denver watching them uh, this year and in, over the past few years, their initial per- push, make or miss, they get the ball out of the net so fast and they put so much pressure on you initially that you force guys to sprint back to the lane. And now secondary offense kicks in and they're the best in the league at that secondary break leading to a quality shot. Uh, hasn't been a big factor so far in this series. The, the, the pushes that Denver's gotten have typically come off of turnovers. Um, and they even got it last night when they pushed that lead out. That was mainly because of, of, of like getting turnovers. Christian Brown almost had like uh, had like two steals and eight almost steals in like three it was minutes. Unbelievable during that stretch. Yeah, the energy he gave them and the athleticism, right? And it was, and that's how they pushed. That's how they pushed it out. It, it, the one stretch they had of running, but that normally Denver he became, can do he, that. Became, he became Gary Payton for a second. Like yeah. you just you just couldn't have the ball around him. It was like what happened. Yeah, it was. It really was amazing. He was a magnet there for a minute. Everything at one end of the floor involved Christian Brown. It was. It was incredible. But they usually can do that, Zach, off defensive rebounds or made baskets. They only got the opportunity to do it off of turnovers. That's not really who Denver has been. Now, look, some of that's Miami, and and one of the things that Miami probably does as well as any team in the league is get five guys back behind the uh, unbelievable I don't even know how they do it sometimes it's like it seems like it's chaos and then they have a force field around the paint and you it's don't unreal. get nothing like it's you crazy just don't give up on anything and they they just it's almost like they don't want to be the guy in the film session tomorrow <laughs> I love that okay they don't want to be that guy and look and, and, and some of those film sessions can be brutal. And lie, they always say film doesn't lie. Boy, is that true about that particular thing specifically? Are you in a dead sprint or are you not? And so it's almost like they feed off each other in that way. And they always get back in front of the ball. And if they're not, they're making sure they're sprinting to the level that that next guy is not getting the secondary shot because now I'm going to run to catch up to you. So give them credit, but I think that, again, a lot of what we're talking about here are areas in which I think Denver has not played up to their capabilities. What we don't know yet is to what extent that's Miami's doing, to what extent is that Denver. And we're going to find out, I think, a lot more about this series, Game 3. I think game three is going to tell us everything we need to know. And maybe even the first half of game three might tell us because I'm looking for these specific areas in which Denver can be so much better based on what I've seen them do this year at their best. And if they can't get there and it's halftime of game three and it's they're down six or it's a 54 48 type game. Now 
you start to have real concerns. Like, can they actually win this series? Because this is now two and a half games and they haven't figured it out. So I'm really fascinated. I can't wait to watch the first half of this next game. I picked Denver in six. So did I. Miami has answered the can they win this series question already. The answer is yes. Like I, yeah. the, game two was proof. I, I was waiting for that proof because I was I, after game one, I was a little worried for Miami's behalf. I, I'm done now. They can win the series. They beat Milwaukee. They beat New York. They beat Boston. They're 1-1 against Denver. They're the only team that's beaten Denver on the road. They, whatever they're doing, they're just finding ways and taking advantage of every opportunity. And you, Their transition defense, we mentioned how good it was. They also only have 19 turnovers. That's helpful. Their center is super-duper fast in BAM. That's helpful. So Jokic just can't beat guys down the floor. And they're not selling out for offensive rebounds and, and compromising themselves and falling over. And let's be real, like, if the Lakers were a better transition defense team, they get a game in that series, at least. Like, transition defense literally created a sweep in that series. Denver was better. Denver was going to win that series regardless. That's a more competitive series if the Lakers play transition defense with the ferocity and attention to detail that Miami do. Um, what did you think of Denver's defense on the Murray-Jokic two-man game in game two? What was different other than maybe maybe it really was just Jimmy Butler being on Jamal Murray? But what struck you about that? Yeah, no, I, I actually think that's probably the biggest difference is Jimmy Butler. And that's why even on the last play, the last possession, right? So Denver gets the rebound. They don't call timeout. And that's two schools of thought on that. You know, everybody's got their opinion. And for me, if I've got, and I don't know exactly how much time was on the clock when they got that rebound, 12 11, seconds. 11.1 seconds. Okay, 11.1. You got two timeouts. Down three. I'm taking a timeout. That that's my personal philosophy because you're hunting a three at that point. If you walk that ball up the floor and you don't call timeout, by the time you get up into the scoring range and one screen is set, now you 100% have to shoot a three. If you take the ball out with 11 seconds to go down three, number one, you can dictate the action. And I'm going to get back to the question you asked me about Jimmy Butler on it yeah. and why, why it I, this is, this is a more, this is an interesting topic, why it pertains to it. So if, if you, now you can dictate taking the ball side out so many things as a, as an offense, who's where, what action you run, what switch or communication are you trying to force? Okay. That could potentially lead to to a better look or a better matchup if it ends up being a, a something off the dribble. Other thing is, down three, 11 seconds to go. You didn't just burn up four or five seconds getting the ball up the floor. You have the opportunity to catch the ball, put your head down, get to the rim, you, and, and make it a one-point game with six, seven seconds to go. Okay, you you can you can extend the game. Where now maybe then if you foul, they make one out of two. Now it's a two point game on the last possession of the game, where a three could win it. So I just felt like with that much time, man, and you need you know you, you're going for a three, all that time you burned up getting the ball up the floor, just wasted time. You, you just lost all that time to 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 get something better if you're looking for a three or potentially get a two. And cut it to one. And there's plenty of time with 11 seconds to go, taking the ball side out of bounds to do that. So for me, it would have been timeout. I'm not going to question a guy that's coaching in the NBA finals. I've never coached, been a head coach in an NBA game. That's just my philosophy. Um, here's the thing. Here's why it pertains to what you asked me. 
Look at the switch that they got. Is that good for Denver? They set a screen and Jimmy Butler ends up on the ball. They had Gabe Vincent on the ball. Why is that better for Denver? Because they didn't dictate terms by getting guys positioned where they wanted them to try to see who they wanted to attack to potentially get a better switch. Some switches are not advantageous to the offense. That was not an ad. Now, look, and everybody out there listening to it, and I'm sure all the Denver people, oh, we got a great shot. You're right. That's a makeable shot. Jamal Murray, absolutely capable of making a step back three going left. He just made two threes. You know, on an otherwise quiet night, he did have a couple of big shots there in the last couple of minutes. Jimmy Butler timed that contest pretty good. And if you're Jamal Murray and you got Jimmy Butler on you and he's 6'6 and you know he's athletic, and like part of that weighs into your mind too on the closeout. I'm just telling you, depending on who's in front of you, even a great contest the shooter has infinitely more confidence because of who's standing in front of them. And I'll take you back to Kyrie Irving, the game winner in the finals against Golden State. There's a reason he wanted Steph and not Clay. And that's a – you go look at the shot. Steph Curry contested that well. It doesn't matter. Steph Curry could have been draped inside Kyrie Irving's jersey. Kyrie Irving saying to himself, it's Steph Curry. It's not the same level defender. So you have freedom of mind as you rise up. You're just so much more comfortable. And I'm not saying Jamal Murray wasn't super confident he could make that shot. I'm just saying you ended up with a switch that didn't work out in your favor by getting Jimmy Butler to contest that shot rather than Gabe Vincent. And if you take it out of bounds in that situation, maybe you can dictate who you get to attack and what that looks like and force a really tough communication on the part of the Heat. Down three and you're hunting a three, I just think that gives you a better chance than just playing in the flow and burning up four or five seconds that you didn't need to burn up. All fair. Um, the matchup question you you bring up is pertinent to the uh, Murray Jokic two man game question, which is you know right. I mentioned how the cross matches that are in this series now means that sometimes Murray is stuck guarding Butler on the other end of the floor. Well, the same pertains to when Denver has the ball because Murray is guarding sometimes Struess, sometimes Gabe Vincent, and if they get a stop. Yes. Miami sometimes can't swap the matchups back until Vincent or Struess is stuck on Murray. That's when, if I'm Denver, I'm going right into the two-man game. If they don't have yeah. their preferred defender on me, I'm going right into the Murray-Jokic two-man game. I might even give Murray some chances to go one-on-one. -on -one. He's like actually kind of a good post-up player. Like I think that's one one piece of it. I also thought, I mean, it's it's such a game of inches at this level sometimes. Like yeah. There were a couple... Murray, Jokic, pick and rolls. And clearly Miami made it made a, a commitment to we're coming out higher and pressuring this and we're going to bring in help defenders too because we're just going to make other guys. We're not going to sell out, but they're going to see bodies. And there was that one play where Bam kind of pressed up high and Murray hit Jokic with a pocket pass and the floater was right there. And then Kevin Love comes out of nowhere and like tips it away, maybe fouls him. Game of inches. There was another yeah. one when it was a Murray Jokic pick and roll on the left side. Jokic popped out wide open. Bruce Brown's guy, I don't remember who it was, zooms over to take that pass away. And Murray tries to skip it to Bruce Brown, just throws it like a foot or two sideways. Just like, oh, if that pass is on target, that's a three or a drive. So you could see Denver kind of like problem solving the defense that it saw. And if I'm a Denver fan or a Denver coach, I look at those possessions and say, we can actually, those are mistakes. 
but we can build on that. Those were like almost the exact right play mistakes. But then again, Miami's going to show them different looks all the time in the series. And, and that's what makes it so fun. I think this is a really fun series. And I think, look, if you're, if you're being honest and you're in Denver's coaching staff and probably even their, their players, they have to, at some level be saying, is Bam Adebayo going to keep doing this? Like, are you serious right now? The Bam Adebayo is making every shot he gets in mid range. And, and, and he's going to get some of those slip dives and he had the three-point play dunk that was a big play. We know he's going to do that and he's going to get on the offensive glass some. And, and he's a good you know face-up shooter. He's in a level right now where they, they thought they had this defense they wanted to play, allowing these pocket passes to him on the, on the slip because he's not going to get all the way to the rim, right? They, they, they got guys rotating over to make sure he's not going to get to the rim. He'll end up committing some offensive fouls. And that's not what he's doing. He's stopping at 12 feet, 15 feet, and making everything. They're probably also thinking a little bit the same thing about Gabe Vincent. Like, is this guy going to make every important shot? Like, it feels like it feels like every shot Gabe Vincent makes is worth like five points because it happens at a time, right? On a on a on a possession that is so important for momentum, and you can just kind of feel. And then Gabe Vincent makes a three. Gabe Vincent makes a pull-up jumper. So part of this is, does Denver continue to basically give Bam Adebayo sort of free run on these screen dives where he can have whatever shot he wants, figuring at some point this, the averages have to come back in our favor? Now he's not a, you know, what's he averaging in the two games? 24, I think. Yeah, he's not a 24-point guy. Right? He's, not, he's not far from that. He's been at like 21, 22. Um, What's yeah, he shooting from the field? You got the numbers in front of you? I, I don't, but it's over 50%. Yeah, um, I mean, and so I, I think, I think, I wonder, I wonder if, if they just continue to roll with this because he's so efficient right now, or Denver makes a little bit of a change there as well in how much freedom they are giving him because. He if 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 they continue to play this coverage, he's going to get the same number and quality of shots. Nothing's going to change. So you're just what you're going to keep your fingers crossed that he starts missing. Well, a guy gets into rhythm like that. That's an all-star caliber player. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't cool off. And now you got a real problem on your hands. So that's another component to the series. I want to see what Denver does differently. Bam made a bank shot in game one from the left wing, and I I watch it like. I don't really remember how many times I've seen Bam Adebayo go glass. Like he looked great doing it. It was the yeah. Tim Duncan bank shop. I'm like, I don't like. I don't think that's like a super regular part of his arsenal. It was like, all right, Bam, like go at it, big fella. To your point about Gabe Vincent, I just went and checked the play by play because when you said every basket feels like five points, in my head I thought I'm pretty sure he broke the run when it was fifty to thirty five Denver in the second quarter. And let let me go check the pl- the play by play. And it was actually a Kevin Love three that broke the run on a catch and shoot. I don't remember. That was a pick and roll three fly by. Jeff Green flew by on a punt. Thing. Then Gabe Vincent did have a steal and an and one layup to make Point it 50 play, right. to 50 to 42. It does feel like every shot he makes is like either stops the bleeding or just extends the lead from four to seven and changes the feel yeah. of the game. Yeah, no, definitely. He's been unbelievable. He really has. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that, man, you know, we talked about it so much throughout the playoffs and, and these guys that they have in their rotation and where they got them from and their journey to get there. But at the end of the day, it, once you get that opportunity, 
they've proven it now time and time again. They've got the guts that it takes, and and he might be at the top of the list for for a guy that's just is so tough minded and so confident, and it's given them an element to their team in the absence of Tyler Hero that you know they're not here without it. You know, no because way. you take that kind of ball handling, playmaking, scoring talent out of your lineup, you can't just replace that unless you have someone there that's willing to like acknowledge that moment and 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 embrace it. And that's what he's done. So I know we spent a lot of time talking about what Denver hasn't done, needs to do, what's different. I get it. There's a reason. They were the number one seed in the Western Conference. They were a better team all year. They have been great in the postseason. So there's a reason you have an eight seed, 44 win team, different path to get here. Um, game seven, they had to escape to get to the finals. There's a reason that you kind of come at it from this angle because you're looking at it and saying like the first and fourth quarters last night is as well as Miami can play. I don't know that I've seen a stretch yet, prolonged stretch of like, that's as good as Denver can play. And that's why I think analysts, we come at it from the angle of the team that seems like there's more there that we haven't seen and what can they do differently. And we're not trying to in any way not give credit to the Heat because repeatedly we are. But that's where that's where the meat of this series is still hanging. What, what more can Denver do to be their best version? And 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 maybe they don't get there. And if they don't, it's going to be because of what the Heat are doing to them. But like I said, so far, we both agree Heat have shown enough to know that they can win this series. Oh, I picked, no doubt. I picked Denver in six, also, Zach, but I'll be honest with you, how I how I always break these down when and I hate predictions more than anything. It's to me it's so pointless to predict stuff because I don't know. Let's say I picked the Heat to win game one. Do I know Max Struess is going to go for 10? So, you know, I don't know who's going to rise up on a given night and who's going to shrink. I, I don't know that. I know the Heat are not ever going to shrink. That that much I know. Like, not all these other teams shrink. They're going to, listen, they're going to, they're going to, they're never going to go away, but they're, they, they might not have. And the way I looked at this whole series was I don't know that they have the firepower to get to. And I, the number I put on it was 110. I said 110 to 115. That's where they're going to have to get every night in this series. Now, the first game, they didn't necessarily need that. Denver got to 104, but I do believe if that game had been tighter, Denver probably does get to 115, right? They didn't play well at the beginning of the third or fourth quarters. It was just, they, they looked, I don't know, they looked almost like kind of got a little bit uh, content with the situation. Now, last night or game two, they got to Miami, took 111 was the number. Right, so I think that's what they're going to have to get to, and that's why I wonder. But here's how I come up with game numbers. So if I say, and I don't think I've, I don't know if I've ever said a sweep, I don't know if I've ever said sweep in any series in 22 years of predicting series. I don't. I really don't because you're basically saying these two teams don't even belong in the same court together, and even if the better team has an awful night, there's no way that that team can win a game. I just don't ever feel that way about playoff series. So at most worst, I'll ever say is five. I kind of felt like this was going to be five, but I said six because I was giving the Heat that kind of respect because they're not going to go away. You're going to have to kill them to stop them. And that's why I said, okay, I'll go with six. 
really thinking, yeah, I'm not going to be shocked that this is five. And then after the first game, I felt very confident that it could be five. Now, hell, this could be seven. This could be heat winning unless Denver cleans up a lot. And if Miami doesn't allow them to do that because of the way they're playing, the Heat have proven they can win this series and end up as NBA champions. It is possible, and I did not think it was possible coming into the series. I'm sticking with I, – I don't do the thing where I revise. I'm sticking Denver in six. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do feel like game two shifted the – like like – um, most likely outcome from like Denver in five and a half to Denver in six or seven now, but also I'll stick Denver in six. Did you have any reaction to the reports elsewhere that Kyrie Irving wants LeBron James to come to Dallas? I mean, I just, I like everybody else. My, my initial reaction I read that was like, are you kidding me right now? I mean, are you, are you serious? He doesn't are want you? us talking about his free agency though, Tim. He doesn't, he just stop, get, get, stop talking about him. But it also this. Never ends. It never ends with him. I am so sick of talking about who he might play with, where he might go. Look at what happened to the Dallas Mavericks after they acquired him. I mean, this, this team went to the conference finals a year ago. I don't know what their overall record was after they got him. He played well, though. I don't think that was on him. I think that was on more of what they gave up to get him. He, he did play well, but... It, it spoke to how badly they miscalculated like what that was going to mean for their team acquiring him and giving up that much to get him and, and basically destroying their depth. And also, I mean, it's not like I watched them and said, oh, yeah, man, like he, he, Luca and Kyrie, like they really have this great rhythm going on together. It's, it's two guys operating independently of each other at all times. And I think and sometimes that's the problem with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown too. Not a lot of what they do really is a positive impact for the other guy. It's kind of like they're just great individually, independent in their own vacuum. Luca makes other guys better, but like they're not directly making each other better by being on the court. And so it just it just like when when does it end with him where he's just constantly trying to figure out another way to like play with who he wants to play with to try to make something positive happen. I will say this, him going to the Lakers made the most sense to me of all because they need something. It's the one lane he was in that I think he was most appreciated was that riding shotgun with LeBron James, right? Where he could be himself. He didn't have to answer accountability for being a leader. He didn't have to do any of that. Just go ball. LeBron's going to empower him to have stretches in games where it's his show, but still very much living in the shadow of LeBron James. And Boston, we know, got a taste of leadership, didn't want any part of that. Uh, I just want a ball. I got to actually make these guys better and help these young, this young talent and lead them. Uh, it's okay. I'll pass. I'll go to Brooklyn. Again, maybe the back in the right lane with Durant, riding in that shadow. Perfect. Didn't work out for a variety of reasons, and the injuries derailed that more than anything. And now he goes and again, kind of in that lane with Luca, kind of that shadow of Luca, right? And probably not very content being there or doing that. So now it's like, well, now where's he going to go? If anything makes sense, it's back with LeBron James to finish it off. Like, and I'm not saying it'll be his last stop, but let's just say LeBron finishes as a Laker, him ending his career with Kyrie Irving next to him. 
makes the most sense for Kyrie Irving. To be clear, you're saying with the Lakers, not with the right. No, no, not with Dallas. Yeah, not with Dallas. No, I, that I was, I was that caught me. I was just like, what are you talking about? LeBron so, James to Dallas. Like, what? What do you mean? Let's so go, Kyrie in L.A. A couple of quick things, just because I don't want to spend much more time on this. Um, number one, I, I've said this before. I, I know the Lakers are are being truthful when they say they're going to prioritize continuity. I think they will match pretty much anything for Austin Reeves. If not, I think they will match anything for Austin Reeves. I would be blown away if they didn't. I do think they'd like to bring Hachimura back. I actually think there are corners of their organization that would still like to bring D'Angelo Russell back just because they have a void at that position. They need a point guard. I, I, I'm not a big D'Lo guy. He, he kind of wilted a little bit in the playoffs as they went on. That, that can also be true, and this can also be true. And this is, I don't think they've shut the door completely on Kyrie coming to the Lakers at some point. And just because it doesn't happen this summer, if it doesn't happen this summer, doesn't mean it can't ever happen. I don't think that door is, is closed. Second thing, yes, I do not think LeBron James is going to Dallas. Dallas has nothing to trade. The Lakers, I guess they have to whatever pick they lost their way into keeping this season. But like, like they don't like the buyout thing. People have mentioned like how like that's going to be a thing. The Lakers are going to buy out LeBron James. LeBron, by all accounts that I've heard, wants to stay in Los Angeles, loves Los Angeles, went to Los Angeles for a reason. His son is now playing college basketball in Los Angeles. It was a fun headline uh, that made for like a fun six-hour news cycle. Something underneath that is interesting, but that's it. I'm glad we spent most time talking about the finals because, boy, these two teams, stylistically, they're different. Their personnel is super different. They both play a fun brand of basketball. They're both fun to watch, and tactically... They both have just lots of fun cards to play and how and when they play them is super interesting. I I cannot wait for game three in Miami tomorrow because I do agree with you. Like I could see, I could see any possible outcome, but um, boy, I I would love to see a close game down the stretch and how Miami and Denver react to that respectively. And, you know, if Miami goes up two one, it's, it's like, that's going to be the first real adversity the Nuggets have faced since they were they have not trailed in a series in the playoffs at all. That would be a really interesting moment, but we'll see. Tim Legler, there is there is nobody better, man. Just absolutely nobody better. That's making it this engaging. That's working the touchscreen like that. That's just and it's instant. Like SVP is right after the game, and you're like, I got this play loaded up, that play loaded up. It, it's just thank you so much for giving me some time. My pleasure. You know how much I love coming on. And and by the way, you, what you mentioned is like my nirvana. If if there's a close game late decided in the last two minutes. That is touchscreen heaven for me. Now I, go, <laughs> now I go right on SVP. Let's talk about how this ended. Why did it happen? Uh, that, so let's let's hope you get that. The other thing I'm curious to see, Zach, last point, two things I'm looking for. because I think Mike Malone made a comment in his presser that was directed at a specific player without saying his name, right? We know we, we talk, he was talking about Michael Porter Jr. When he said, I don't know, maybe some guys out there feeling sorry for themselves because they weren't getting involved offensively. Totally agree. That was, that was at MPJ. 100%. And he's such a difference maker. Let's see what he looks like. And I also want to see when does like the, the genuine dislike for each other kick in in this series, right? Because it's it's coming. And maybe it'll be game three. And I don't know who the principals will be. I could see it being maybe an Aaron Gordon and Jimmy getting into it. Maybe a Jamal Murray, because when he gets rolling, right, he does a lot of things that sort of showcase, you know, who can't guard him. 
and he makes it known. So maybe there's something there. And I think that that's when now you're like, okay, now we got an NBA finals. And I think that might be coming in game three as well. well so I'm looking for that. Well, Gordon and Kyle Lowry have some history together from back in the bubble when they were on Toronto and Orlando, respectively. And Kyle invited Aaron Gordon to visit him at his hotel room if he wanted to settle things there. And of course, the Heat have not forgotten about not forgotten about Jokic shoulder blocking yeah. Markeith Morris from behind yeah. and and like really kind of seriously yeah. injuring Markeith Morris. So perhaps we will get there. Let's keep it safe, though. Let's make it a nice yeah. like trash talking right. scuffle. Let's no, no, not no, go just, crazy, I just, folks. I like I like when a little bit of like okay, these guys are getting a little bit sick of each other. That's 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 all I'm talking about. But that's when you really feel like man. Both teams are recognizing the stakes here. And also, by the way, when you see that, that's when both teams know this could go either way. That's when you really know that. Um, because until that happens, it's usually one team is like, I'm not going to get drawn into that because we're going to win the series. If you start to see that in Miami, Denver falls down 8-10, and they start getting a little bit chippy or a lot of complaining at the officials, you'll know then they actually starting to realize, like, oh, my God, like we, we better we better turn this around. We could lose this series. And I don't know – that very many people in basketball thought that the Miami Heat could win this series going in. I think a lot of people believe now that it's absolutely possible unless some things change going forward. Man, I cannot wait for game three. Tim Legler, thank you, sir. See you around the block. You got it.